My name is Sabu. I've been coming to Timberlake for past five years. I've been in groups for about a year. We started to come to Timberlake after moving here from Texas and didn't know anybody. About nine years, I was a stay-at-home dad, and I wanted some more connection with the people that have similar mindset as myself. It was in the middle of the pandemic, so strangers did not want to make friends with other strangers. I realized, you know, every time, a season of my life when I've been too busy and plugged into other things, my Christian faith has always sort of become stagnant and, and, and just sort of hit a dead end. I found I was a Christian of convenience, and I kind of reached out to him when I needed help. I felt like I needed to be engaged as a part of the community. I was needing friendship and community and people that I could ask questions to and be real with about the struggles of being a mom and the joys of being a mom. It was really nice to meet some friendly folks and to be able to recognize people on Sundays. It's hard for me to make connections and friends because I'm an introvert and so it was a great way for me to connect and not feel like a visitor. Sharing in conversation, laughter, tears, or stories. That was something which came to me uh, when I needed it the most, so I'm very thankful to the, the Timberlake community as well. It feels like Timberlake's starting to become more like home because I can walk around and actually have a few people to say hi to that know who I am. I found encouragement. I found support. I found community. I found connection in a group. I found meaning in a group. I found renewal. I found friendship. I found community. I found connection in a group. Well, I hope that uh, whether you're watching online or other locations here, that you will check out groups, especially this week and next as we uh, get started. What a great opportunity. Our groups uh, only last about usually somewhere six to 10 weeks. Uh, see if that's a group for you. And then uh, you could be part of another one or continue on uh, in the next year. Well, I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. So glad you're here today. It's been such a, a great season. By the way, you are awesome people. Do you realize that this is probably the last sunny weekend for eight months, and you are at church? Yeah, that's great. A couple of you just left, isn't that? <laughs> no. uh, well, I'm celebrating a lot of things. Um, we had a party for my wife. She just finished her MBA, and uh, it was a lot of fun. My daughter got a couple T-shirts, which uh, I thought were inappropriate, but I would share with you anyway. Uh, here's what she got for uh, my wife. MBA, when your BS can't take you any further. And I survived my wife's master's degree. And it sort of has been one of those seasons. Um, and we are having to, like many of you, we are having to recreate, in a sense, what it looks like moving forward. Some of you, for the first time, you're dating. You're just deciding, hey, is he the right one? Is she the right one? Uh, some of you are single, and you are happy in that way. Others of you married, uh, and, and maybe for a while, maybe a short period of time, and you're saying, okay, what does next look like? Uh, in this series, Fix This, we looked at seven problems every couple has the first week, every married couple. And uh, the second week, we looked at communication. Now, a lot of this applies to other relationships as well. And this week, I'm looking at, at really three of those uh, issues to be addressed. And, and those, that's the issue of, hey, what's our future? What's our faith? How do we have a, a greater mutuality 
in, uh, as we move forward, it's sort of being on the same page together. For my wife and I, uh, we, we like to do different things. I shared that. She watches TV shows I wouldn't watch if my life depended on it. Uh, when we go to the gym, she likes classes. I like to work out on my own. So we had to figure out what something we could do together. Uh, she plays golf. She's good at it. I am horrible at golf. Uh, and so uh, we decided that we would pick a sport that neither of us have played. And so the one where we picked at, you know what this one is, right? Yeah, pickleball. How many of you play pickleball? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Some of you are more excited than others. But, uh, the, you know, it's sort of funny for a, a sport that doesn't look that, you know, like it has this paddle. This is called, I bought the decimator. There was another one I probably should have bought being a pastor. It was called the demon slayer. And it's really, you know, this fierceness about it. Uh, And I'm so proud of us that uh, we decided uh, to play uh, pickleball together. And uh, a really awesome thing. Uh, Many of you say, well, who's better, her or me? And I would say, I don't know. We haven't played yet. (laughs) See, our intention is to play. Our intention, we, we even bought the equipment. But... Doesn't that sound sometimes like what happens in our relationships? I even showed up to church. I even, I bought a book. I even read a half a chapter. Why is my marriage not better? And and we do that. We, We actually, it's not that we don't take a step. It's that we take four or five or six steps. We just don't take the ones that really get us to where we want to go. And so today I'm going to give you some encouragement uh, and some just some practical steps as we, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 today uh, as we look at uh, what does it mean to be on the same page. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this, because this, this is a goal. I think if you're, even if you say, hey, I'm an atheist, you want this for your relationship. It says love is patient, love is kind in the scripture. It says it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let's underline that one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is one, honestly, that's neglected in most marriage relationships. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. See, the problem with this is that we don't get there. And as I looked at the scriptures, and I looked at the main scriptures that talk very specifically about marriage relationship, primarily in Ephesians and in Genesis and Matthew chapter 19 and uh, 1 Corinthians. There's some places where it talks more than others. Uh, Song of Solomon, which is, by the way, sort of a crazy book to have in the Bible. It's sort of a a love song uh, there. Um, And so in the midst of that, it talks about this idea of design again and again and again. The main theme is that we were, there's a design that God has for relationships. Maybe you're, you, you say, hey, I'm not in a relationship, but I'd like to be. This is really important to consider. The problem is that most couples operate by default rather than design. We have, you know, default settings. If you've ever, uh, you know, looked at maybe your Apple product or Google or Facebook, everyone says, watch out for the default settings. Because the default settings, maybe you're not getting as much privacy. They're doing some things that you wouldn't like. So change those default settings time and time again. All these tech companies that you all work for, I know I just mentioned. 
Uh, and so, uh, and we think about our lives and we all have default settings, don't we? We, we came about them honestly. Sometimes they're from our past. Sometimes they're family of origin. Sometimes they're just a personality trait. And the default settings you learned could have been good. Maybe you were raised in a household where you were taught to really worship and follow Jesus. That's a wonderful default setting that was imparted in you. Maybe it was commitment and you saw your parents' commitment to one another and you say, man, I want that same thing. Maybe it was an atmosphere of respect or love and these default settings can be good because they're aligned with the design that God has for us. Other times we we look at our default settings and we would have to admit that they're not quite what God would have. Maybe we have a a, a default setting uh, around anger. That we're, uh, and there's all sorts of anger, right? There's the anger, the brooding anger. There's, a, you know, the outbursts of anger. There's the suffer and silence anger. And so that default setting, it doesn't, you know, it, it's, if you have children, those will become manifest because they'll start to put them on display. I, I remember I was with my daughters uh, when they were younger at a yogurt shop. Uh, we actually got a parking place. This one's sort of a busy shopping center, hard to find a place to park. We got a parking space right by the door. Uh, that's what happens when you follow Jesus. Uh, so uh, God opened up that parking space. And so we were there. We were having my favorite yogurt. And then we, we get in the car. And, we're, you know, sort of just trying to make sure everything's okay. And a uh, person is uh, evidently Im- impatient and starts honking. And they start honking. And, you know, one time is annoying. It's like, okay, you know, you had to get that off your mind. The second time is, God, will you take this person out? <laughs> and so, uh, but, but then when I'm backing up, though, so, so I'm like, okay, they're in a rush. I'm backing up, and the person's honking, honking, honking. And my daughters look at me, and they say, Dad, you should give that person a piece of your mind. And I'm like, where did you get that from? <laughs> uh, and uh, and so, so I was thinking about that. So I actually uh, did stop the car, and I get out. And then the person looks at me, and then I look at my trunk, and my trunk was open. And what they were trying to do was help me. But my default setting is, hey, it must, see, I just got it wrong. And sometimes our default settings, we will get it wrong, we will go to the wrong place, we will do the wrong thing and end up with the outcome that is wrong for our lives. Some of us have a default setting of fear, a legitimate You're afraid because uh, people who were supposed to be there for you weren't there for you. You were in a relationship and someone abandoned you. You gave your best and they didn't give that in. And so you say, my fear. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep a distance. And that's, I totally get it. But you say, but I also want this deep intimacy. And and that, that fear actually will keep you from ever enjoying that. So what do we do in situations like this? We have our default settings. We have God's design. There's a movement, and it's a movement of faith, just like a a faith that would come to Jesus, where we say, okay, if I move forward in this relationship, my faith is in God, not in the other person. In fact, I had a pastor who said this statement that changed my life. He said, "Uh, the Bible says that we are to uh, trust God and love people, and usually we do the opposite. We trust people and we love God. And he says, that's not the way the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say to love God. It says to trust him. You can trust him completely. And love people doesn't say to trust him because sometimes they'll let you down. 
And when I choose that posture, I can enter in a more healthy way into relationships. Well, as we look at the design uh, teachings throughout Scripture, Ephesians 5.31 says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sometimes we look at that and we're saying, hey, I don't want to give up who I am. Well, oneness, here's the formula for oneness. It's uniqueness. It's who God created you to be. You don't cease to be you. Togetherness, you come together. And then there's a oneness, but that oneness is created by design. It doesn't happen by default. So I want to get real practical today. We are looking primarily at one section of Scripture, Ephesians 4 and 5. And I want to look at how do you achieve that or what do you look for that if you're starting out or looking to be in a relationship? Uh, The first one is decide how big God is going to be in your home. Now, that's a pastor answer, right? Like, okay, that's, you know, the answer is always uh, Jesus. Some of you grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church. Uh, when you guys were all in church, uh, I was, you know, at some buffet <laughs> with my parents. Uh, when I, when, and so you know the answer was always Jesus. But the truth is, when it comes to a relationship, how big God is going to be in your home is huge. And if you're dating right now, and, and I get this, and maybe you're not on the same page when it comes to faith, that that's gonna be, can be difficult. No one ever thinks it is going to be. Uh, but I can tell you, and some of you are saying, yeah, 18 years later, we're still married. I love them. They love me. But we, we never really experience that mutuality because our faith isn't mutual. And so it, it's important uh, to look for that as well. You think about this. If you believe in God and the God of the Bible, not the God of, you know, oh, the good God out there, but the God who is the creator God, who created the heavens and earth, the God who, uh, that's why I love going on these trips to Israel and you get to see like the places in the Bible, all the archaeological evidence, the real God, the, the real Jesus who gave his life for our sins, who, who bridged the gap. Then, then you'd want to share that with someone else. And you say, hey, we're not there. We're not on the same page spiritually. Do you know that you can choose to be there today? If you're not a follower of Christ, you can say, hey, maybe I will truly consider the claims. Uh, I talk to people. I get to travel quite a bit. And so I talk to people in airplanes. And it's very interesting, just all the sort of ideas about God. But usually, there, there are exceptions, but rarely. Rarely is like, have I really considered it? See, the Bible says that you're going to live forever. That's the good news. The, the, but we're going to, we get to choose where we live forever. Ever. We can live with God. We can live in that place with him. That's a place of peace. The Bible says there's no more pain, no more tears. We're in the presence of God. Every sin has been forgiven and every brokenness has been made whole. And when you really study that in the scriptures and you really grab that, there, there becomes this confidence and this peace. And, and as I look at it, as I went through my sort of health crisis, sort of pretty near-death deal earlier this year, I got to tell you, I have more peace than I've ever had before in my life because I'm just more certain of God's presence and power. But the Bible also says that we can choose to live without God. I hear this, well, I can believe in a God that sends people to hell. God doesn't send you to hell. If you choose to live without God, God will respect that decision. And by the way, even if you don't believe in the Bible, doesn't that just make sense? 
That if God was good and you said, I don't want any part of you, he would say, okay. But then that lasts an eternity. That's eternal separation from God. And so this, you know, I know a lot of you are like, I thought you were going to talk about marriage. Now you're talking about heaven and hell. Uh, because here's my biggest concern is that some of you will do everything right but miss the point. Because if you get this right, it doesn't mean there's going to be no problems, no sin. But really, this is the anchor point. It's like having a compass that is pointing in the right direction. And, and when we get our faith right, then we can work through the other issues that inevitably you will face in a marriage. And, and then we're told, Ephesians 5.1, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. So what we do is if we're on the same page spiritually, then, uh, and by the way, if you're married to someone who's not a believer, I understand that, okay, whatever happened, happened. Maybe you came to faith since, or maybe you just made a decision back then. But this never gives you a hall pass to, to put Jesus second. To be very clear, the Bible says your spouse should never come before the Lord, believer or not. And when I put God first, as the Bible says, then I can be truly more present for my spouse, truly more loving, truly more forgiving. In fact, one of the greatest things you can do is pray with and, and for your spouse. If you ever prayed together, I remember first year of our marriage, we went through a devotional, actually first two years, we went through devotionals together every, every night, and that was great. Uh, and then pray for your spouse. Sometimes, you know, you're angry. Instead of blowing up, why don't you just pray for him? That's what I do. I said, God, you made her, you change her. <laughs> God's never answered that prayer. <laughs> but, but there's a, listen, and I want to, now I know some of you are here and you're checking out faith. We have that every weekend. But if you're a Christian, let me be super clear. The Bible gives you no other way where you can be faithful to Jesus unless you say he is first, first all the time. That's why whenever everyone says, you know, well, you know, I, I really hard for me to go to church. And that's okay. I mean, I know we have like, what, 3,000 families who log in online every weekend. That's a great tool to be part of the community still. We love our online community. Or I, you know, really that giving, no, I can't do that. I don't believe the Bible. Or I serving, well, you know, I would serve, but, you know, I think about, sorry. Those issues I don't really care about because once you settle the lordship issues, all the rest take place. I can't forgive that person. I've heard that. I just can't forgive him. Or my politics are first. Your politics are first. You're probably not a Christ follower. And I say that. We have great people. We have great people running in some of the most important races in our state who attend our church, people who love Jesus. You know what I love about them is that Jesus is before their office. And uh, you're saying, well, who should I vote for? Let me tell you. No, I don't do that stuff. Because some of you are Democrats, some of you are Republicans, some of you are just crazy. And, <laughs> but uh, but if, if either of those is before Jesus, that's an idol. Number two, get tools and a team to grow your marriage. Uh, remember this verse, the two will become one flesh. And the battle comes as they decide which one they're going to become, right? It's like, uh, how do we negotiate that? Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, said, uh, let the wise listen and add to their learning and the discerning get guidance. So I want to suggest four different ways. There's probably 40 where you can start moving towards that mutuality, that oneness in a biblical sense. Uh, one, there's an online as assessment tools uh, for that process. We have one. I should have had it on the website. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to get it on this week. Uh, that sort of helps you know where you're at. And also read a good marriage book together. I mean, if you're not married yet, you could read Preparing for Marriage uh, or Five Love Languages or Love and Respect. There's so many good books on marriage. And I suggest you read a book that's a Christian book. By the way, not every book that's not Christian is bad. It just doesn't include Jesus. And not every Christian book is probably the best. You've got to find one that's a good one. Another tool is growth groups. We talk about this. Uh, relationships where we include other people who love us and love God and are rooting for us tend to do better. If you have not been through re-engage, I encourage you to do that. Uh, so many people have. It doesn't solve everything, but it is significant. Uh, you'll make great friends. It'll help you spiritually in your marriage. So, and then there's mentors and counselors. Um, counseling is a good thing. I would suggest a Christian counselor, someone who comes from a biblical perspective. By the way, counselors, I, I recommend them. They're awesome, but not all, all counselors are awesome. Some actually cause damage. So you got to find one that will help you, that'll point you towards Jesus and knows what they're doing. And then mentors, people who can like give you wisdom, uh, I, ha I still have mentors for my life and my marriage. People who are a little bit older than me, married, been longer. Uh, I heard uh, someone was talking to their uh, mentor, a lady, like been married something like 50 years, and said, what's the secret? How do you do it? And she goes, I, you know what I did? I made a, a list of 10 things that bugged me about him right when we got married, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to ignore those 10 things. I'm going to forgive those 10 things. And then, and then she goes, well, <laughs> what was on the list? And, and she goes, well, I lost the list. He goes, well, what do you do when he bugs you? She goes, I assume that was on the list. <laughs> That's pretty good advice, isn't it? So we, we need that, and then we need to discover their needs and priorities. Uh, and again... I think there's been healthy, there's a great Christian book on boundaries, and there's healthy language about really sort of you help yourself first. That's good. I think it's been overdone. And actually, even in Christian circles, it's gotten into non-Christian. Yes, we, we, we love Jesus first. We, we try to be healthy and good. But the Bible doesn't say that you live for you. You live for God and you serve others. You don't let abusive people abuse you. I'm not saying that. But we need to say, hey, what are their needs and their priorities? What's important to them? Like my wife and I, uh, we, we did probably the wrong thing. So we, uh, I think it was, uh, we met each other in May. We were engaged in September and married in March. So it was really quick, because I thought if she ever got to know me, I'd have no chance. <laughs> so, uh, but we, here we are about 30 years later, and we realized even though we went through premarital class, classes, we read books, we actually did uh, quite a bit of work, more than most people did back then, that there are some things that we just had to learn, that, that God had created us differently. 
I mean, if you look at every way that we're probably uh, the opposite. I, I told you about her TV viewing habits. She watches Lifetime and things like that. And I watch shows that don't offend Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, she, yeah, it's a, she's an evening person. I'm a morning person. Uh, I'm a saver. And, well, okay. Uh, the, uh, and so we have all these kind of things. Her family, great. I, their mom, dad, 11 kids. I mean, just amazing marriage. And, you know, I'm mom, dad, 12 marriages. <laughs> you know, I mean, we couldn't be more opposite uh, than each other. In fact, my wife is from Montana, which if, if that tells you, if you ever meet my wife, that'll tell you a lot about her. She's from Montana. People in Montana work hard. People, you know, they're like salt of the earth kind of people. Like uh, here, if something breaks we buy something new. There, if something breaks, what do they do? They fix it. And she came, I mean, there were 11 kids in the household. They had to watch money a little bit. And so uh, one of the things I've learned that for her, a priority is we do that. So uh, I usually take Saturdays off and uh, every once in a while on Saturday, she'll say something like, oh, the dishwasher is broken. By the way, that is not a point of information. That is an assignment. And I, I got to tell you, my family, I told you, I was raised, in, you know, a sort of like a Jewish business family. I mean, we sold things. We're good with numbers and finance and awesome. We were not particularly handy around mechanics. And so at first, for the first, oh, let's say quarter century of our marriage, the, uh, I would always say, hey, I'm just not good at that stuff. But for her, it was really important. And so finally along the way, I decided when she says something's broken, I'll say, let me take a look at it. And I would go in there and I would make it worse. And then she'd say, we need to hire someone. And I'm like, you have heard from the Lord. <laughs> and so, but, but it's sort of, it, I don't know why I, I fought certain things. Now that one's sort of funny, unless you had to love it. But the, uh, there, why fought things so long? And see, really what it comes down to is number four, is to defer often. It says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, this is where what you will be taught in school and culture about marriage, the Bible teaches the opposite. Because what you're going to hear when you talk, that's why when you talk to your friends who's, who's on their fifth or sixth marriage, and they're going to say, okay, yeah, you know, you should just, you just fight, you just get your own. And I get that. And again, I'm not talking about being abused or anything like that. I understand that happens, that really does. Maybe we use the language too often, but it does happen. I'm saying what the Bible says is that we, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ that there's this mutual submission where we say, you know what, that's really important to you. Okay, just uh, sort of nerdy theological stuff. People will say there's two different views within Christianity, and this are, you know, good Christians hold to these views. One is what they call more complementarian, sort of like uh, uh, the husband makes most of the decisions, uh, the wife would follow along. That's sort of one view of marriage. And then there's an egalitarian view of marriage where husbands and wives 
make decisions together. And that's really the view I hold because that's what my wife told me I had to believe. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, seriously, I do believe that's a good biblical viewpoint that I really do follow. So what, we, what I always try to do is try to figure out is what's the intensity in which someone wants something. And this is how you create mutuality. Like if, you know, like we all have our own opinions. My wife and I are both strong people with strong opinions. But like there's some things that are really important to her. And if it's really important to her, I say, okay, I'm going to de defer to you. There's other things that are really important to me. And she does the same thing as well. And see, that's why that Bible, the Bible talks about a mutuality where we say, you know, it's not about me getting what I want and you getting what you want. It's about us deciding together under the lordship of Jesus Christ how we're going to move forward. By the way, if you're dating, I, I just think you want to uh, look at who you're dating and, and observe, do they treat other people well? Do they hold grudges? Uh, are they generous? Do they follow through on their commitments? Are they kind? And, and ask yourself those questions, and then that will help you determine, hey, do I want to go to the next level uh, in my commitment? And that leads to number five, make and live out your commitment. Here's what uh, the Bible says about commitment. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's interesting when, when it talks about marriage, the example that's given, remember how I talked about the very first point, how big is God gonna be in your home? Is if you say, no, no, we're gonna allow God to call the shots. Doesn't mean you're not gonna sin, you're gonna get it perfect. But, but we are always gonna to defer to God's design. We are always gonna to defer to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, gosh, that must be, you know, one of those, you know, uh, a caricature of, uh, of a marriage relationship, these people who have no fun, who have this. No, these are people who have incredible freedom and fun and fulfillment in every way. And the example is given of Jesus who, who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, that he did anything for us to be whole and redeemed. And what I want to do today is I want to end the service in communion. Because I know that as we work through stuff, right? We all have stuff we got to work through. Some of you, you're experiencing the best months and years of your marriage. And I encourage you, keep on going. I encourage you, say, Jesus, where can you be first? How can we defer to one another? Others of you are saying, it just seems like it can't be fixed. And again, I don't stand in judgment, but I do invite you into a different way of looking at it. You say, God, what have you designed and how can I live out that design? Even before the we, I'm gonna look at me. How can I live out that design? Well, it starts with grace. And Jesus gave his love, he shows us grace. And the Bible says that we're to remember that. Two ways we're to do that is one is baptism. If you've not been baptized yet, I encourage you to sign up for that. But also through communion that we remember as we receive the cup and the bread. We're gonna do that in a moment, uh, but I'm gonna pray for us first. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for each and every person here 
God, I thank you that we don't have to give in to our defaults of fear, of anger, of even despair, but God, that we can move into uh, your design. God, that we can uh, live a better way because it's your way. God, I pray for my friends who maybe even as I preach this message, it's just a lot of regrets in, in your heart. And I just want you to know that we're ending in communion for a reason because I want you to be reminded of the grace of God, the grace that redeems, the grace that moves you forward. Lord Jesus, we invite you into this moment, into our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message podcast. If you'd like to watch the video version of this, visit our online campus at online.timberlakechurch.com, which is live Sundays at 9, 10, 15, 11, 30, and 5 p.m. Pacific time. And don't forget to check out our app for a one-stop solution for all things Timberlake. Thanks again, and I hope to see you this weekend.